All right. Thanks, everybody, for chatting. It's uh, nice to have you meet some new friends. Uh, my name is Drew. I'm the pastor here at Hope Community Church. Glad you're here and uh, excited. Are you guys ready for me? All right. I have a little something I want to show you that uh, we, something we experienced this last week at our house that was very fun. I think a few of you might be excited about this. Can we uh, flip the lights too to movie mode? Ooh. We should watch more movies in here. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the eighth wonder of the world. I know it was real. <laughs> Turn around, let me get a look at you. I will be right here when you get back. Pinocchio is running around loose without a conscience. Can you imagine the trouble he's gonna get into? Wouldn't want that on my conscience. Everybody who's anybody wants to be a somebody. But I wanna be real. Why on earth would you want to be real when you can be famous? Pinocchio should have been home by now. He won't be a puppet anymore. That's for sure. Selfish. You will always be my real boy. Thanks. Out of movie mode. <laughs> Out of preaching mode. All right, here we go. <laughs> Uh, we, we got to watch Pinocchio this week. I think it just came out on, on Disney+. Plus. a movie we've been looking forward to. They're making all these live-action versions of old movies. And uh, this is a movie. I cry in a lot of movies, but um, this is when I cried a bunch. <laughs> I didn't expect to cry in Pinocchio. I just thought I would get to see Tom Hanks act with CGI people. And uh, I uh, teared up a lot. The story of Pinocchio, I, I didn't remember the story very well, right? All I know is there's a wooden boy and his nose grows long when he lies <clears throat> and he dances around and there's a cricket. That's all I can remember from the, from the story <laughs> from a kid. And there's so much gospel in it. And, and I'm excited today. I think the story hits at the core of what we're really hoping to think about for the next few weeks together. Um, and especially today. And so uh, I'm hoping that can help us maybe process this uh, a little bit today. It's, it's a story of someone who's looking um, in the story, he says, I want to be a real boy. And his dad, his father, or the, his maker who made him, uh, Geppetto, wants him to be a real boy. And so he keeps saying that phrase, I want to be real, uh, kind of make himself, you know, like go from the woodenness to like flesh and bones to actually have a conscience to actually know what's right and wrong, all, the, all these things that come with it. And it, it felt so real as I thought how often I have this similar feeling, I think, and we all have feelings of, of we want to be like real or whole or kind of made, ah, it feels like something's off, like I'm splintery and my arms don't work right. Maybe every year as I get older, I just feel like things don't, don't actually work right. And then I don't know, it's just inside, it feels maybe like I'm not whole or alive fully. Um, there's something about our identities that we're in search of, like a soul-satisfying identity that we spend a lot of our time trying to figure out or a lot of our time trying to create just that we can make, if we get, could get ourselves to a certain place, figure out who we were, we'd be real boys and girls. We want to be something that's not yet. There's just like, not yet. I'm, I'm kind of there and maybe even feel close, but I'm not there. Who are we? 
Sometimes if we feel like there's something wrong about us or partial about us, or there's a deep tension within us about who we are. And that's, that's what this story is about. It's about a boy trying to become a real boy, trying to figure out um, what that looks like. And so we are spending actually, not because of Pinocchio, we decided this way before the movie came out. Uh, it just worked. Uh, we're doing a series we're calling Made for God. We're going to think about our identities and specifically look at gender and sex. Every few years at Hope, we try to take an opportunity to, to more specifically look at this topic uh, and what God says about it, and, and, and not just what he says about it, but how, how do we go about that in our lives then? So I hope we like to say matter and manner. We often say matter and manner matter to confuse it, uh, but just there's a matter about it, like what it a thing is, the content of it, the truth of it, and then the manner about what do we do with it though? Um, maybe even like the how we go about it, right? The, uh, and so in, in that, we think about even why we do what we do. And so we want to th- think about that for the next uh, eight weeks. We're going to spend seven weeks doing that together. Uh, and then our eighth week actually is a fifth Sunday here at Hope Heights. And so we'll worship all together, everyone. Uh, uh, there's no kids church. We're all going to worship together and just take time to remember and be hopeful in who God has made us um, but we're excited to do that because currently we can see in our culture, uh, identity can be closely held to things that aren't always congruent with what God has. In fact, often it can be closely held to uh, what we base our lives in, in our sexuality or in our gender, or maybe in our marital status or, or you know, in, um, in all those, those that can be like who we are is that word. When you, when you meet a person, that might be the thing you think about um, is their sexuality or their gender or their marital status, or whatever, right? Those things, that's who they are. And we want to think about what does God think about that and about who we are? We're often told to look within ourselves to solve all the problems that we're feeling around us in that tension, in that wrong feeling, or in that partial feeling, like we're not fully people yet. And I think God has, I don't think, we see in Scripture that God has um, some pretty incredible things to tell us and really hopeful things to tell us about what it looks like to be people and people created in his image and uh, who we can call ourselves in that. And so here's some of the topics we're going to get at. Um, These are uh, the things we're hoping to get at in the next few weeks. Just real quick, we're going to figure all these out. Um, Identity and God's lovely authority we're going to talk about today. God's creation is good. The good news in the midst of broken people. We're going to look at what singleness, dating, and marriage can look like, lust, masturbation, fornication, same-sex attraction, gender dysphoria, transgender. So we're going to quick figure all those out. Uh, not really, right? But this is, our, this is truly our hope. A heart here at Hope is this, is that in all these things, there is good news. Um, you might see some of these words, and that might cause uh, anxiety for you, or you, and that anxiety might be from, uh, I, I don't want, want to talk about those because I don't know what to think about those. It might be because I'm worried. I'm in a church and I know what churches think about those things or those people. Um, and you think, I don't want to hear more people uh, hurting or hating people. Or you might think like, I've just heard enough of this. Can we talk about something else? Maybe you grew up and this was in youth group, the only topic you feel like was talked about. And so you think this is uh, heard enough. Uh, what we really want it to focus on is that these are, aren't issues for us to think about, but these are people. And there are people, us in this room, people around the whole world are facing every day. These are our faces and our friends and our neighbors, the person you meet at Target, the person you work with, the person in your family, all image bearers of God. And we all have good news for us because of the gospel and what Christ has done. And so we want to take some time to maybe even uh, enter into some harder conversations, hear about some real pain, maybe become people who listen well. Um, and continue to talk about these things. So these are things we're excited for you to do. And, and I hope to just introduce some things and uh, share some what, I, what we see in scripture, what God has and share. Hopefully we leave with just, again, good news. And if nothing else, our hope is in, in eight weeks, we continue to love Jesus more and love his church more and love his people more. Because in the end, we want to love God and love people well. Um, that's what we feel called to. Um, and so that's our hope in the next few weeks is to look at these things. There are a few resources and some things we want to encourage you with. If you go to hopecc.com slash made for, for God, um, 
We have some resources uh, on there. There's actually a list of different things you could read, articles, things you could listen to, even past sermons and things from Hope in our archives from all of our locations. There's a great small group study that a lot of people have been working on for a long time uh, that could help if you're in a small group, help you study or just yourself. You could use it as a, a devotional to walk through of some very practical ways to think about uh, and just continue dialoguing and discussing. These things uh, coming soon will be a parenting discussion guide, some ways as a parent to think about and talk with your kids of different ages. There'll actually be a, a parenting gathering. I think it's hopefully in November maybe is the plan for all of our locations, just the round tables to help parents discuss how do we talk about these things with our kids. Um, there's also opportunities for further discussion. On the on the actual website here, there's uh, Zoom calls for our downtown location. They're doing Zoom calls because they're a lot bigger. And so they're doing these Zoom calls on Sunday nights. Our lower town location is doing other discussions. And here at Heights, because of our size and the people we have who are willing to help, um, if you're interested in just talking more, if you think, I, I don't necessarily have a small group that I want to keep talking about with this, or I just need someone else, a safe place to ask more questions or discuss, or um, you can email me and we have people and uh, I'd love to ch- talk more. This is, a, this is a thing that we want to continue having people talk about, continue wrestling through. Um, there isn't just an easy answer and you move on. So, and it's a thing culturally, right? That's that we're in all the time. And so we want to keep talking about this, keep helping each other in it. And one of the things I really would ask for is just prayer for our church in this, um, prayer for me in this. And uh, as we continue to prepare and what we're doing this, and I really encourage you to pray in anything, right? But especially in this, as you think about how to engage with friends and family um, on this topic, what an opportunity for us to share the gospel in the way we listen and the way we care for people um, uh, and our slowness maybe to share truth and maybe lean into some of our grace on some of these. So I'm excited for that, for that opportunity. Um, I'm actually going to pray for us as we go in here on our first topic in our new series. Lord, thank you for your goodness that yours good news. There's really good news that uh, there's pain and there's like deep, deep tension in our souls. Often there can be feelings of um, woodenness in ourselves and we, it's very easy to forget who we are or to not even know who we are. And I pray that you would encourage us in that this week and in the weeks beyond this, that you would walk ahead of us, that we could rest in you uh, and that you'd use this just to encourage us again in clinging tightly to you and loving those around us well. Our hope would be in you uh, always. Pray these in your good, good name. Amen. All right. So we want to start, though, instead of just getting right into he, here's, a, here's an element, here's an, uh, a category of sexuality, whatever it is, and then here's what we think. That's really not our plan in any of this. But to start with what's really important is asking the question of uh, what, who decides this? Where does this come from? And that some of that comes from this question we asked you, are you a rule follower? And we were asking this question earlier this week, and our senior pastor, the person who started our church, who, uh, who like, I look up, is a mentor and a father. And a, I mean, this guy we love, Steve, who started Hope, planted Hope, said, oh, man, I, I need to share something with you guys. And he shared how on Sunday mornings, he goes to our downtown location. He has been for 25 years. At like 5 a.m., he likes to write his sermon sometimes at 5 a.m. on Sunday morning. <laughs> and so uh, he goes there at 4 or 5 a.m. And he said, uh, we were saying like, where are places we, we follow the rules? And then where culturally do we all, we're all kind of okay not following the rules. And we were talking about traffic. And he said, I don't, I don't know if I remember the last time I stopped for a red light at 5 a.m. on a Sunday morning. <laughs> I love that. I love that you're still alive. And... <laughs> Uh, haven't got a million tickets. He said, oh, there's no one on the roads. It's Sunday morning. I'm driving through Minneapolis. And if there's a red light, maybe slow down. Uh, I think one of the first things we're in a group, someone asked is, can we share that story <laughs> to our church? He said, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, he just, and there's something he said, uh, there's just something about, I don't know, running a red light when no one's around. But, you know, I was like excited. <laughs> So I guess the rule follower, maybe he's on like the not so rule follower section. Maybe you have to be to plant churches. I don't know. Maybe I'm just justifying it. Um, there's something though about that. 
And I think it's one of the places where we kind of get an idea of, of how that works within us internally, right? And for me, it, it gives me, when we look at a traffic light, uh, it gives us a little picture of what, I, I, some different ways we decide to uh, interpret a rule, right? Or a guideline or, or a, a way, something that's been established to say, hey, there's certain parameters here that we all are going to follow because it actually, ultimately, right? I would hope traffic lights are just there to keep us safe and get us to go somewhere. We're trying to get somewhere and we're trying to get there safely and trying for all of us to do it in our different cars and our different ways and add bicycles to this and add people walking to all this, right? So I was thinking this week, I'm like, when I come up to a light, what are all the ways that I process? And I asked some friends who I know maybe are a little more rule followers that maybe I'm married to, like I'm some of those things. If it's 6 a.m., 5 a.m. on a Sunday morning, no one's around, do you stop at red lights? Do I actually sit there? There's times I definitely sit there, even though no one's around, I think I could. I think maybe I'll just turn right because that's legal and then I'll like come back around. Um, should I do I. If I get pulled over, do I tell them I'm on the way away to church because that's my job? <laughs> or do I not say anything? They're going to ask what. And so I thought, here's some, here's some ways this plays out for me. Maybe some of these will, I, you can identify with. When there are a set of guidelines, and there is a way something's been built. And the hope is that people have this freedom to get to the place they want to get. There'd be all, and there'd be some safety built in that, right? There'd be some things. Um, there's some reasons I do or don't, right? So one of them is just that I was told to follow told to follow this law, and I will because I'm a good person. I'm someone who follows the law. I understand that it's right. And sometimes that good person part of me looks really good, and sometimes that's just like an internal motivation that isn't so good when you get a little deeper. I can find myself saying, well, I'm going to do this because of my reputation, because if I got pulled over, then I'd have to tell a Heights police officer, sorry, I was on my way to church because I'm a pastor at that church that meets at the high school. And then what would he think about our church? Would he think we're cool because their pastor breaks the law? <laughs> what do you think? What kind of people are these? I, I would maybe do that just for my own safety. Maybe my motivation would go, I'm going to do this because I know this is safer. Because if I stop at a stoplight and go when I'm supposed to go, then I know everyone else knows that rule and I'll stay safe. Maybe I'm just thinking of others too. It could be a great motivation of I, I want to keep other people safe. So I'm going to stay at this light because I maybe I'm missing something or uh, missing a, a person on a bike or missing someone walking. And I want to make sure if we all follow these things, then it'll keep us safe and keep us going in the right direction. And we'll all get where we're supposed to get. So that could be my motivation. Sometimes my motivation is just, if you look on here, there's a camera and actually that pole goes up. There's a camera there. Sometimes my motivation is just because someone's watching. And if I know now, right, you can get tickets, just no one has to be there. You just later, you find out that someone saw you go through it. And so I think, ah, is someone watching? That The question if someone's watching uh, often changes if I decide to, to do something and not do something. If I decide to follow a rule or not, or if I decide to stay within certain guidelines. I don't want to take it for that. I, uh, I don't want my money taken for that because I like my money and I don't want that taking because that takes something away from me. It seems to almost take a freedom from me. I think outside of, of stoplights, right? I, I don't want to be a person who feels like they've been canceled or a person who um, loses a friend. And so if someone's watching, it's different almost, right? What I decide to follow. Sometimes I think just laws are for other people. So I pull up to a light and I go like, well, it doesn't matter. I know how to drive. If someone's coming, I could swerve around them, right? I think of every action movie where they have to go through red lights and like jump. I'm like, if I had to, I could jump them. It's not that hard. Not that big a deal. I'll be fine. I'm safe on my own. Depending on the, the moment I'm kind of in, those laws are definitely for those other people who can't control themselves and don't know what to do. No one's going to know. It's fine. There's everyone else. Or, or I just think someone else can worry about the laws and I'll just do what I'm doing because I know there's other good drivers out there and Hopefully they'll drive. I learned when I learned how to ride a motorcycle. This is the first thing my dad sat me down. He said, "I want to. I'm going to teach you how to ride a motorcycle." Uh, he had this plan to do it one day. And one day I'm going to teach you how to ride a motorcycle. We sat down at breakfast, and he said, "Here's some things you need to know." And he said, "The first thing you need to know is you can't trust anyone else on the road. It's your responsibility to keep yourself safe." And I thought, "That's a little strong, Dad." Uh, and then I didn't take long riding a motorcycle, and lots of times you have to kind of swerve or. 
you become a very defensive driver because on a motorcycle, uh, you know, if someone bumps into you, it's a lot bigger deal than if you're in a car. Um, and so I realized, oh, maybe I can't trust other people on the road. They're not all thinking I'll follow the rules. Sometimes I'm just in a hurry. When you're in a hurry, uh, you're not willing or you're not able or you just think it's, you know, the time. And I, the last one that came to mind, which uh, comes up, and I think more recently it feels like maybe uh, culturally uh, we're in a time where this is, this is a bigger deal too, that I just don't trust the loss. Maybe not the laws, but maybe the people who created it. I think of like uh, terms, I was just talking to someone and they used the term fat cats. And I was like, fat cats? Are you getting all those fat cats who are up there somewhere in their towers making the rules? And I was like, it sounded like we were like in a, tw- a 20s speakeasy. Uh, you know, they're up there with their suits on, they're smoking cigars, those fat cats. And I thought, oh, that's funny. And then I, thought, oh, I think that way often. There's other people somewhere and they don't get it. They don't drive a car like mine. They're not on the street. They don't get that this stoplight's very annoying and it's too long and no one's ever coming the other way. And why is there a stoplight here? Uh, so I just think it's easy to say I don't trust them. And maybe I have reason to not trust them, right? Like this is a terrible spot for a stoplight or this doesn't feel right. And I don't see why this should be here. These, the people who decide this, I don't trust. Maybe you've just been hurt. If we're outside of stoplights now, right? You're just hurt by people. We all have, right? And so maybe you've been really hurt by trusting people. And so now you almost have a default to not trust. Everyone has to build some trust before you can follow. And then that even lands for us as we're talking today on God, right? You transfer that even, God, I, I know how this works. You're just like everyone else. I can't trust that your intentions are good. You're not thinking of me and you're corrupt, cursed like everyone else. But what if we believed that these laws were good, right? They actually give us more freedom to drive, to be safe, to get where we want to go rather than break those laws, right? So we're, so we're looking at today. This really helped me picture that all week I was driving around in my car and I kept thinking like, wow, there's a lot of times I have certain rules I, I don't follow and certain ones I do follow. And my kids say, why are you, is that the speedometer? Why is it always five over what the sign says? And I was like, well, that's the rule. Is the sign is five less than what you actually drive? That's not real. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm teaching you what my, I was taught, which like, I don't know how many of us are taught. Five over is the, it's a weird thing. We have signs, but then we all just know you go five over. It's strange. So the question then too is like, where does that come from? So not only how do we react to having uh, some laws, or we're going to talk about just what God's will is for us. How do I view him and I trust him? Do I believe these are true? Is it how, what part of my personality, maybe just how I'm built, leans into that and what part doesn't? And where do we learn some of that? So I actually surveyed some of you and a bunch of friends this week, just lately, and just said, hey, I said, who tells you what's true in the world, specifically in your life? Who kind of tells you what's true and what's not true? Uh, where do you get your truth from? Uh, and how like how just life works. That's kind of general. So how does life work? Where does that come from? Where do you think you're influenced? So social media was often a first answer. Like I spent a lot of time on there and I think I'm influenced by that for good or bad. Friends were a good way. Maybe even the show and actual friends in life influenced people. Someone said my brain. I said, what, uh, what tells you like how to navigate the world? And they said, my brain does. And that was it. And I thought, oh, okay. <laughs> just their brain, but I think that's true, so, right? Us, our thinking, our own thinking. People shared Bible. The Bible sure does it with me. God, my relationship with God. Someone said newspapers. I like to read the newspaper. And I thought that was a joke. And then they said, no, really, I read an actual paper newspaper. It made me giggle because I thought, that's kind of fun. They read newspapers. They probably listen to vinyl records too while they do that and drink coffee. They made it in a drip coffee pot. Like they're that's pretty cool. That's coming back. It's pretty cool. Actual newspaper. Also, a common one was I feel it out. A lot of talk about feeling it out, following your heart. I just kind of take it in and then do what feels right. I'd say that there's times that's definitely, I just say it just felt right. Um, so all those kind of were mashed together, right? How I'm feeling, the friends around me, what I'm watching, what I'm intaking, all those things mashed together. 
And I kind of take a few people were very honest and said, I honestly uh, do the one that seems to serve me best. So there's a TikTok video series that like helped me understand. And I go like, I think I'm going to believe that today because that would make my life a lot better or feel better or more successful. We're, we're going to get to that, but and it's interesting. So just considering like, consider how, how you could picture rules, how we see the world and, and what has influenced us. I think this is very normal. This is the culture we're in, right? We have an incredible amount of content and places we can get instant information from, instantly be told things, even kind of taught, almost preached, lots and lots of things. And then we get to take those and decide what we think is right, because those don't always, always aren't always congruent with one another, right? Many times um, the answer in all of this is uh, what makes you happy is what you choose. That phrase, whatever makes you happy, is really common. I just, now I've been thinking about this, every show I feel like I'm watching, every, a lot of conversations I'm happy having people say, oh, I don't know if that's the best choice for them. And they say, but if it makes them happy. It's a very common conversation I have with a parent um, or even in our own house. We say, is that a thing we just let them do because it makes them happy, even if it's hurting them? Or is it, sometimes it is just, it makes them happy. Is that great? Do we just let them go after that? In a culture where maybe authority isn't trusted as much or isn't trusted first, at least, we swim in waters where the goal often can be comfort or pleasure or fame or power. That's what we think will make us happy. And so then we move towards that. I have a friend who's a teacher who recently said, I hated people in power until I became one in the classroom. Uh, they said, I always hated like my teachers and I hated anyone who had like authority over people. And then I became a teacher and I realized like, oh, this is what teaching is like. Um, it's interesting how that works, right? There's this like all these things in play with us. And so is our source from God or is our source from us? So ultimately today, I just want to take us on a little uh, ride through a little bit of scripture and just consider this because this is so important as we start a series where we're talking about identities is to say, where are we getting this from? Where is the source of this? What do we believe is true? And is it, is it me? Am, am I the source of truth? Or is there, and can there be lots of truth? Or is the truth come from the one who created the, all things? So here's the questions we often ask. Um, when I, I teach like a world religion, it's like a week-long field trip. We visit lots of different leaders and different religions and get to hear about different people's views of the world. And this is the kind of the questions we ask. This is a pretty basic questions people would ask um, to hear anyone's worldview. We ask the questions of how did, how did all of this start? Like what's creation look like? Where did we come from? So you say, where do you think we came from? And you get kind of a basic for idea of what a person from a different worldview would think. What's the problem in the world? What can solve that problem? And how will it all end? Or what happens at death? Or, or does it all end? Or how does that work? Usually if we have a conversation, we kind of ask these questions, then you get a whole lot of great other questions from them. And you learn a lot about a person and what they think is, what's the real problem in the world? And what's the real solution to that problem? And so in the church, we often use these same phrases, which are real general, kind of the story arc of scripture. And also what we'd say are, uh, answer these, right? We'd say creation, God created things. We'd say they were, the problem is there was a curse people turned from God. There's the fall. And then how was that problem solved? It actually was outside of people. It was actually Jesus who came and solved that problem with his death and resurrection. And then at the end, there's actually restoration. There's actually God's going to come back and make things right. So that's what I want us to think about today. So what is the problem? If the problem is a, a turning, a curse, a, a turning from God, and Jesus rescues us, then that changes our view of where we get our truth, right? And what, because then that means we're getting truth from fallen, cursed, broken people, and not from the creator who actually made all these things. And there's actually really good news in that. So real quick, let's go through this whole story together. I got pictures for those who like pictures, who need a little bit of that. That's me. Um, we start our story, right? As we consider where we should get our information, where we should get our truth, uh, in the place we look all the time, right? In scripture, we hear this story starting in Genesis of God creating this incredible place in the Garden of Eden. He creates his people. 
creates Adam and Eve there and the animals. And he keeps saying over and over as he makes things, it is good, it is good, it is good. In fact, it is very good. And uh, they get to, in the cool of the day, hang out with God. They dwell together. It's paradise. Things are right. There is not necessarily that tension, that woodenness in their identities. But then someone comes, Satan comes, and as a serpent and questions them and actually asks them that question. Do you think God actually has your best intentions? Do you think God actually knows what's best? Does the creator actually know how all creation should work? Maybe you don't need him. And so the one thing God asked them to do that, or he asked them to not eat from this tree. He says, I don't know if God really asked you to do that. I don't know if you need God. You could be ultimately God yourself. And so they decide to turn. They, they answer that question of what if, and, and is God really trustworthy? Are, are his laws, his will good with, I don't know. And so they decide to eat the fruit and the fall comes. And then uh, we still get the effects of this now, but for many, many years, people continue to see this cycle. Instead of being blessings, instead of multiplying things, they're not blessings. We're often our curses. Instead of multiplying, often we are destroying or even bringing death. And so death and sin come into the world and then fast forward, that happens over and over, the same cycle. Where is our God? We just went through a whole summer, right? Talking about this story. Who's going to rescue us? Over and over, God creates ways for people to go, we're not the ones who are going to rescue us. We can't sacrifice enough. We can't get a good enough king. It's not going to work. We can't defeat death. We can't overcome death. And so finally, God comes in the form Jesus comes. He's born. Uh, a baby, he comes and teaches, kind of flips everything on its head. It's not about following the right rules so that God would be happy, but instead this, this mercy that Jesus brings. And we, many of us know the story, right? He dies on a cross, the death we should have that we deserve for our curseness, for our turning from him. He rises. I just found this picture of resurrection. Isn't that fun? It's like him bursting out. It's like a Marvel version of Jesus rising from the dead. He bursts out with the... This cloth behind him. Look how ripped he is. He uh, bursts out in the resurrection. I think when he resurrected, he became like buffer too. Um, and then uh, he goes on his throne. He, he ascends to heaven. He actually, all these people see him. It happened. He actually rose from the dead. He not only paid for our debt, but he rose from the dead and conquered death and is today seated on his throne, king of kings, still ruling there. And then we know the story doesn't end there. This is redemption. Now we have a way to actually come back to God. Someone has made a way, a path. In Hebrews, it says he's the pioneer and perfecter of this race that we run. And then one day, uh, he makes the city for us. He'll come back and make all things right. This actually isn't the end. There is a, there is a deep tension in our identities because this isn't it. We're not, and we're not done. God's not done yet. He's going to come back and make all things right and put an end to those things. And so where do we live kind of in our identities right now in that story? First, we get to learn about who God is in that story, a God who loves and pursues his people even as they turn from him, a people who over and over run through the same cycle of turning to God and then turning away from God, seeing that they don't have, they don't have it in them to figure all of it out, but rescued by a God who doesn't leave them, even when they're called enemies and a God who will come back and make things right, who wants to make things right, wants to make us real people. So we find a moment actually when Jesus is teaching where a question like this comes up. Jesus is teaching in the temples and some of the religious leaders there say, who is this guy who's teaching these things? And so they ask him this question, like, where did you get your training? You, you didn't like, you didn't train with the finest rabbis we see that you don't have all the right degrees, but you seem to be teaching with some kind of authority, like an authority that seems almost like God has. And so they ask him the question, who really, where's your authority come from? Who's the one who's, who's telling you what to do? Where, where is this? Is this just you? Or are you just a really smart guy? And so he shares this. This is from John seven. Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. That's God. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. So Jesus actually says, you should test what I'm teaching you. Are these things from God or not from God? Jesus is telling them, 
the authority I have comes not from me. I haven't decided it just comes from God. It's one of those moments where we get to see Jesus' humanity because Jesus is right God and he's man. And in a moment where, where he's kind of set aside some of his divinity in that his God he says, I'm actually hearing from God and I'm teaching you what God is, is, uh, has for us. And then he says, whoever speaks on their own does so. So now he's not saying just, just that they can speak words, but who's speaking as if they're the authority. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There's nothing false about him or her, right? This is a, just a person. So he's saying, I speak from the authority of God, the creator, the one who's made all things. And so really the th- things I'm telling you are from him who created things. He knows how these work. And if someone's speaking on their own authority, if they say, I figured this out, right? It's like he knew TikTok was coming. He says, if, if they're speaking just on their own authority, they knew the six ways to do the whatever, right? They're, then they're doing it because there's some personal gain, some personal glory that they're seeking. But the one who seeks the authority of God, the, what God has, they speak truth and nothing is false about them. So if you want to hear truth, what's true, then it comes from God. But when it just comes from us, there's, even if we don't intend it, I think there's what Jesus is saying is so true. This, there's some bit of gain for us personally and for our own glory in that. This is interesting. I, this gets right. I mean, this hit me hard. In my heart, I thought, how much of me wanting to figure things out without God? Or even just saying like, eh, I don't know, God, I think you probably meant this. There's something for me to gain. And this makes me think of Pinocchio, of course. So I just watched it. There's a moment in Pinocchio. He's created by Geppetto, right? His dad who makes him. And then Pinocchio wants to go off to school. So he actually says, hey, it's time to go off to school. And he goes on this adventure, figuring out how to become a real boy, figuring out his true identity, how to be whole. And they say, to be whole, to become a real boy, you have to be brave and truthful and unselfish. That's the goal for him. You have to be those three things. And if you can become those three things, then you'll become a real boy. And so he goes on this journey to school, but he gets interrupted by a fox and a cat, I believe, who are dressed in big clothes. And they're not real great guys. They let you know there's some eerie music when they come on the scene. So you know, oh, these guys aren't great. They say something very interesting to him. And actually it was in the trailer that just strikes to the heart, I think, of, of who we are. It says, uh, he says, he's walking and they say, anybody who's anybody wants to be somebody. And then he says, I want to be a real boy. I want to be real, whole, right? And then they say, why on earth would you want to be real when you could be famous? Isn't that a great line. I was like, it was one where I was so on to pause and have like a little family Devo discussion about this. Do you feel this girl? Sometimes we want our fame is more than God's fame, but I, I didn't, I, I held back. So we didn't, that would have not went where I thought I was going to go. Uh, what a phrase though. Why would you want to be real? R- really who, like who you were made to be right. When you could be famous. Why would you want to be real when you could be famous? It's the, it's the same question. Why would you want to be who God made you to be when you could get the glory yourself? When you could have the fame? It's like every day. I make this choice every day. I say, yeah, but I could be more known. Or I could be the funny one. Or I could be more liked, or I wouldn't, or it wouldn't be pain as painful. I wouldn't have to suffer, or this that would just make me happier instead of being who I really am made to be. It's really, I mean, it's such a good question. I actually got to read. I read. I thought there's too much in Pinocchio that's Bible-y. and I don't think Disney made it Bible-y. <laughs> So I was uh, read it. It's actually a story written by a man who wanted to make an, an allegory. He wanted to make a story to explain to kids the truths of scripture. I thought, oh, that's why I'm getting this. That's why I'm getting these. Like what, what a great phrase, right? It's the same thing we see 
in the garden. And I think we see in ourselves. And I think what Jesus is referring to as he looks, as we see in John 7, this desire for our own fame. So as we keep going here, as we kind of wrap up our, our time, how do we become real, fully peop, full people? Well, it happens in, uh, in the story here. It happens when at the end, Geppetto, like as his father declares him, like um, Pinocchio goes through these adventures uh, where he tries to be famous by being like the greatest puppet ever. And then he goes to Pleasure Island, which is just like a wild place for kids. It's like the ultimate amusement park and they drink so much root beer. They turn into donkeys um, or another word for donkey. And which is such a great picture too, like too much root beer. That's just whoever wrote Pinocchio is like, my kids drink too much root beer. I want them to know it makes them goofy. Uh, he tries all these things, right? His pleasure and, and uh, fame and all these things and finds none of them. And his dad pursues him and pursues him. And at the end, he finally declares him real. You're my real son. Like the father is the one who declares him his real son. And in our story, we're declared real. In fact, we're called new creations. Not by our work, not because we went and did all the things, not because we were the bravest or because we were the, tr- the, the best truth tellers, the most honest people, or not because we were the most selfless people, but because our brother Jesus was. Jesus becomes the one who, who, who's selfless in his sacrifice. Jesus becomes the one who tells the truth that's from the Father. Jesus becomes the one who's brave and courageous, even when it's really difficult, so that we could become, so we could go from life to death, wooden to flesh and bones, right? And in fact, we hear this in 1 Corinthians. This is one of the passages that really inspired the name of our series, 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. It's a reminder that we were actually bought. Jesus paid a price for us and has made us new creations. We hear in 2 Corinthians, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old creation has gone. The new is here. There's actually some translations that say, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, it just says creation has come. I love that. It's like, it's not even like a new, it just, you've been made. You're new, you're real because of what Christ has done. New is here. Real is here. And so the work that has to be done to become real, to really find ourselves, again, is done by God and given to us. Like in Pinocchio, it's done by the father and he's declared it onto his wooden son. We've always been made for God and we have turned away and tried to make ourselves for us. And then he comes and rescues us. He doesn't leave us and he restores us. He doesn't hate us or think our sin is too yucky to handle us. We're the ones who do that to each other. He still pursues us and makes us new. He's not a father who screams at us because of our failures and leaves us on our own, but instead comes gently and humbly to us and says, come to me. He comes after us and rescues us. He declares, you're my child, you're loved, you're forgiven, you're made new. Not because you followed your heart and became something that I was attracted to, but because I love you and forgive you and have pursued you and made you new. Not because you figured it out, but because I renewed your mind. Not because you found happiness and escaped suffering, but because Jesus suffered and can give you great joy now that can never be taken from you. That God who gives us our identities is, is looking for us and is looking to give us rest for our souls. We hear in... John 14, that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. If we're looking for truth and the way of life, he's there. He's a person. In fact, uh, in Matthew 11, a verse that's really been uh, ministering to me, it says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I, I know you don't feel whole. I, I know you don't feel real. And I'm the one who will give you rest. I'm the one who will give you who you are and what you are and give you great freedom, give skin and bones to that body 
And then together we can run after these good things. I think that's incredible news. And, and news that if we understand this really good news and believe this news, then uh, it changes who we look to for our authority and who gets to tell us. There's, there's two pictures that have really helped me assess here. Um, two ways that have been helping me think about this. And uh, if God is the source uh, of my identity, of, of my sexuality, my gender, my joy, my compassion, my humility, my kindness, if he's the motive, if he's the one who motivates my heart and changes my heart. One of them is that I, lately I've been realizing that I often feel like I'm co-parenting with God. This is my new book that's coming out this, this year. It's going to be hot off the shelves. <clears throat> I'm thinking about changing my name to Derek Zalke. D-Eric. Sounds cooler. Uh, I, I th- so what do I mean by this? So what I mean is that I look around. Uh, I think this happens because I am a parent and I feel this a lot. I look around and I go, man, all these disobedient kids. Look at them all. Unruly making their decisions. And then I go, God, I guess you and I are going to have to clean this up again. I bet we better go have a meeting with the kids and I better stand up in front of them and say, hey, all you messed up kids, get your act together. I I really have moments where I think everyone else doesn't know what they're doing, but I do and God needs me to help probably for some wise counsel. And so it's like God and I come together and go, okay, we've been talking. You guys are doing things you shouldn't do. No more, no more Snapchat, right? We have to like sit you down and take your phone privilege away, forgetting that I'm a messed up, messy kid too. That's where God goes like, hey, have a seat, Drew. Thank you. Thanks for your help, bud. <laughs> it's like weeks, some weeks where I'm preaching and a little friend might come up and we get to go, hey, bud, thanks. You can sit with your parents. <laughs> I think that's a question to ask yourself. Do you ever find yourself feeling like you're co-parenting the the children of God with God. He needs you because of your wisdom. He needs you because you figured it out. You're the good kid. Maybe you, growing up you have, or maybe you're a parent and you have the good kid in your house who's like, you're right, mom and dad. They need to figure it out. And you're like, well, you do too. Um, I think that's, that's one way that I've been really considering what this looks like in my life, how I view God. Do I view God as this creator, God, father, who's perfect and good and loves me and has good will for me and the best for me? Or is he one that like him and I will work together and figure it out and then we'll let everyone else know? The second one has come uh, to me uh, as we think about even football starting today. My wife is more excited than I am about this, but we're thrilled about, uh, look at this, I did equal, I did equal two, two plays that both look good for both sides. It's trying to be friendly to everyone in the room. Um, but I, as I'm thinking about football, as it starts, you think of all the rules and all the things that happen in football that allow a really fun football game to happen. And if you've ever watched a game where it feels like refs like are favoring one side or the rules are different for each team, or if you've ever been during one of the seasons where they had like a weird new rule that didn't work, I often uh, can process this. Do you ever think, do you ever believe that uh, kind of the rules of the game, the way things are, the way God has made things, do you look at that and go like, I wish there weren't any. We don't need any. Or do those actually can bring you some comfort? Do you understand that the way God has made things allows us to f- play well together and enjoy it? Or is your first instinct, sometimes mine is to find a loophole, maybe one to do the least, um, maybe to find the exception. Do I actually believe God knows and has set it up for us to follow in a way that brings life and goodness? Just something I've been really considering what that looks like in my life. Am I co-parenting? And do I believe what God has actually creates this great game? We're not in a game, right? It's a much more serious than a football game, but does it create that? So as we, I'm going to ask our worship team to come up. And as we uh, end here, this is the question we want to ask as we start this series is just where are we getting, um, where does it start for us? Who decides? We want to be real, alive, whole people. And where are we looking for that? God has an incredible life, an eternal life for us. It's really good news that we have a father who made us, who loves us, who doesn't leave us. Even when we run to the pleasures of the world, when when we run to Pleasure Island, because we think that's going to bring our wholeness, he still runs to us and brings us back. Even when we follow our broken hearts, he still loves us in that and brings us back. 
Even when we're looking for glory for ourselves, he loves us and brings us back. He comes for us and he declares to us, you're whole because I've made you whole. He gives us new life, makes us for himself. And he's the one we can look to for what it looks like to be real people, to have our souls satisfied. We want to respond to that. We do this every Sunday. Um, And so a few questions to consider. We're going to have an opportunity to reflect. You can sing with our worship team uh, as they lead us. You can sit and reflect. There's also going to be people in the back of the room that will pray for you, who who love to pray for you. And so please take them up on that. They're just standing in the back with a yellow lanyard on. Um, They'd love to pray for you in in any way. Um, And also we have communion as a way for our service. It kind of builds to a moment where we take communion because communion is a way for us to remember the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so we take communion as a remembrance as we break, as we break the wafer, remember his body broken as we drink the wine, his blood shed so that your body and blood would not be broken and shed, but his, and that he rose and gives us life. It's a reminder of that great moment. We also have some questions for you to consider. Do you know that God knows you and can make you whole? That's a first step there. Knowing God in that way. When is it hard to follow God's word? And do you see God's word as life giving? It can be hard. Consider that in your life. Who can help you process these things with? Oh, that's a weird sentence. Who, who can you process these things with? Um, we'd love to help you find people to do that if you don't have any or lean into those who you have. And then who needs to know God knows them and wants them? It's a question, even maybe a question to consider who to be praying for um, to know that. Let me pray for us. Um, and then uh, actually, I'm going to have us, I was going to pray this song, but I'm going to have us do this together. Let's stand up. We don't always do this. Let's stand up. And we're going to just say this psalm. This is a psalm that I go to sometimes when I, this is really hard for me. And I say, I, sometimes you just have to read scripture because you don't have words. And this is a psalm that I, I will read um, just to remind me and ask God, teach me. teach me. So let's, let's just read this together. I'll start us here in a second, and then we'll sing. Um, uh, together. Here we go, friends. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. For great is your love towards me. You have delivered me from the depths from the realm of the dead. Let me pray as we start our time here. Lord, thank you that you have delivered us from the realm of the dead. We were dead. We were broken, wooden, dry bones like we just heard a few weeks ago and you made us alive. That's incredible. And I pray we would look to you, that we'd believe these words, that you were faithful to us. And I pray for undivided hearts that our devotion would be to you and your word. And out of that would come great love for you and those around us. Thank you, Lord. You're good. Amen.